Today on Dram Talk, we look at the Bunnerhaven 12, the Port Charlotte 10, heavily peated, and the Royal Salute 21. And then we'll start talking about a change in the way we purchase and consume whiskey. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you all. It's, let's say, bel- very belated. A little bit. It depends when we actually end up releasing this. <laughs> and probably an even more belated Merry Christmas as well. Yeah, but I mean, we're on time. We're recording this on New Year's Day. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, took a little mini hiatus, small break. Yeah, it was it was meant to be a holiday. I had um, finally talked my girlfriend into all the things that she can see and do down in Tasmania when the real purpose of the trip was just for me to visit all the distilleries down there. However, that got cancelled yeah. thanks, to, thanks to COVID. Yeah, just, COVID had other plans. Yeah, it's crapping on all our plans. Yeah, just uh, one final hurrah, hey, for the mm. end of the year. Yeah, it was good fun. Good fun. Really, really highlight to that. <laughs> And if we're, um, and as well, like, what have we been up to? I mean, if you have been paying attention to our social, especially on Instagram, um, you'd see that uh, Daniel had the Whiskey Loot Advent Calendar. So just a quick question for you, Daniel. What's, what's your top five from that? Yeah, so we had um, well, 24 whiskeys to try, which was good fun. Um, so my top five that I think are probably going to translate from the mini 30 mil bottles they gave us to a full-size bottle um, would be the Nikka Yoichi Single Malt. Um, really loving the Japanese whiskeys. Like, that was just super impressive. Uh, then Karoa Characters. So that's a um, distillery from New South Wales. So from our home state here. Then I'm going to probably look at getting the Wild Turkey Master's Keep 1894. That's a bourbon made the list. Um as we've mentioned, we've been pleasantly surprised by bourbon. So, and this was a really good one. Then I've gone to an India whiskey. So, uh, John Paul edited. That was like a really, really interesting one to try. It was hard to say. Like, I wouldn't classify it as a peated whiskey, but it had a very like smoky, barbecuey like note and tang to it that worked really well and like had me thoroughly impressed. And then lastly would be a blended scotch. So it's pure scotch. Um, this one was really good. Like one of the best blends I've tried and I'm keen to go out and get a bottle of this. I believe like they are primarily distributed by Bladnock. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously mixed with other single malts, but um, I know they have a connection to Bladnock. Yeah. And that's then, uh, Sorry. Yeah. That's a, uh, Pretty interesting because I know when you got the Whiskey Loot calendar, you didn't flick through the little book to see what was in the upcoming days. But yeah, I, I opened it on the day. Oh, you opened it on the day. Because <laughs> I went through and I flicked through the book mm. and um, I had a feeling the Nicker would definitely be one of your top ones. Yeah. Uh, and the Wild Turkey as well. I'm, I'm surprised to see the Paul John one because, I, well, I had no expectations of that whiskey anyway, so... Yeah, neither did I. Like having no experience with whiskey from India, I, I had no idea what to expect. And it was just, it's one that I think you'd enjoy. Like anyone who enjoys peated whiskeys, I think you're going to be thoroughly impressed. But even if you don't like peated whiskeys, like I don't think it's peated or at least it's not as peated as like Isla whiskeys. So right, yeah. you're not going to be thrown off by the peat. <laughs> and then um, just going off that, Probably some honourable mentions. I mean, there was 24. You've picked five. Yeah, and so it was It was a real struggle to narrow it down to my top five because there were so many good drams in there. Uh, but some honourable mentions would go to the Ardmore Legacy. Um, this was a peated version of Ardmore, and it's lightly peated, but lightly peated really well. Like, mm. I was... I, I really enjoyed this one, and it comes at a good price point. I think in Australia here, that's it's about 50 or $60. Okay, that's, so really, that's really cheap. Yeah. Really affordable. Um, and then I've got the Woodford Reserve Straight Rye. So I'm starting to get into rye whiskeys. I didn't think I would, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed some rye whiskeys. Yeah, I've been really meaning to go out and just jump into that world of rye whiskey. Yeah, I think probably one of the first bottles, if it's not the Woodford Reserve Rye, um, probably going to be Archie Rose Rye because I know they, they're quite... <laughs> Yeah. acclaimed for their rye whiskey. So we look out for our future episode when we start delving into rye. You know, it's a new year as well. So I'm sure we'd have a lot of new listeners as well. So is there really an order to listen to our episodes in? I don't think so. I mean, like some people may like to listen to things chronologically if you if you started that and listened to our first episode. 
it wasn't like a comprehensive overview of us and our podcast. It was just the first time we decided to sit down and record us doing a tasting. And I think that applies to basically every one of our episodes. So, you know, if this is the first episode you're listening to, um, please feel free to just go back through and look at the titles and the episode ingredients of our previous ones and see which ones match up with your current whiskey preferences. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And if anything, our episodes are more just if you're wanting to know our opinions on a certain dram, mm. then that's what they're there for. I mean, you can skip the segments if you want, but the segments are good stuff. There's good chat in there, so you should listen. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, and I think our podcast is, I guess, more of, yeah, whiskey reviews as opposed to whiskey education. Like, sure, we do cover, like, information about distilleries and about, like, cask, about, like, different cask influences and age statements. So we do give a little bit of information, but it's more just if you want to know, as Brad said, like opinions on whiskeys or how we rate particular whiskeys, um, or if you're tossing up whether you want to buy this one, listen to the episode and see if our thoughts intrigue you enough to go out and purchase a bottle. Yeah, I think that's probably what we were more leaning towards anyway. And like Daniel mentioned, we are going to go over some, I guess, basic whiskey knowledge and maybe a bit more intermediate to advanced stuff every now and again. Yeah. And that's just to give you, I guess, a more base knowledge as well. So you can go on as well and share that with other people and just bring more people into the world of whiskey. Yeah, it's mainly context for what we're going to be discussing and talking about. And I mean, like... If you do happen to go out and buy a bottle of one of the ones we've reviewed, as always, we do really enjoy hearing from listeners. So please let us know. Um, or also if we've talked about something that you may not have known or we haven't covered some information um, as well, just let us know and we'll know like for the future to add in a little bit of information or a little bit more information about a particular thing when it comes to whiskey. Yeah, and then when it comes to it, what's going to have always like a segment to accompany the episode because after all, we are Dram Talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the main thing is we pour a dram, we talk about that dram, and then we just talk in general. Exactly. And speaking of drams, I think we go on to our first one today. Yeah, and that is the Bunnerhaben 12. So this was a Christmas gift. Um, I think it's a very apt Christmas gift since it is a huge sherry kick. Um, it's from Isla. And if you're, for any um, really ardent listeners of the show, you may have known we mentioned this back in our Tobamori episode because they are like kind of operated by the distill group the one that owns Tobamori and Deanston so we as I mentioned in that episode when it comes to chill filtering this um, distillery don't need to chill filter because it's bottled at 46.3 percent so they don't have to worry about that clouding if it gets cold um, just to recap if a whiskey is under 46 percent when it goes through like cold temperatures it's subject to clouding so to avoid that a lot of whiskies under 46 percent will be chill filtered those over 46 don't really need to worry about it so um it's good to see integrity bottlings like this and i guess just these kind of practices in distilleries that ensure you're getting kind of quality products yeah i mean Return listeners, you're probably thinking, oh, what a surprise. First new episode in the year and they're back in Isla and the new listeners, well, it's, this, is, this is just a return to form for us. Just go, Basically. <laughs> go back to where we're comfortable, hey? Yeah, so we're looking at, like, and interestingly enough, like Mutterhaben, not that peated. Like, if any, I don't think there's any peat. No, I'm pretty sure Mutterhaben 12, no peat. Because, like, even first thing on the nose, like, there might be little remnants of smoke, I think, like... Anything produced in Isla is not going to be able to escape the smoky peatiness of Isla, but it's a huge sherry kick. Like yeah. straight up on the nose, you're getting dried fruits, you're getting spices, and you're getting sherry as well, like that sultana raisiny sweetness. Yeah, definitely. And I think what what I'd more attribute this when I'm thinking of it as an Isla whiskey, I'd say it's more coastal, if anything, because it is an unpeated variation of an Isla whiskey, so... There would be no smoky characteristic, but just more of a coastal feel. Yeah, because yeah, in addition to the spices and the fruit, you are getting a little bit of, I guess, like a salty um, tinge to it. It's not as dominant as a lot of coastal drams are, but there is definitely like some kind of maritime essence in it, as well as a nuttiness. I'd say there's a nutty, like an oily nuttiness, borderline like a walnut. Yeah, but I think a real great characteristic in this one is just. It's really fresh. It's really sweet. It's a, 
just on the nose, really pleasant. Yeah, it's a very um, lighter take of an Isla whiskey. So, and, and it's just quality. Like we 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 praised Tobamori and Lechaig because of the quality of their whiskey, and it's showing that this company, the group that operates it, they do carry that across to their other distilleries. Okay, but I think we go into the palate now. Definitely on the palate, you can tell this is a sherried whiskey. Oh yeah, you can definitely tell it's got a nice sherry kick to it. There's the sweetness there, like the raisiny nurse, the raisiny notes. They're all there. Yeah, you're not getting anything unexpected, especially if you're coming off the nose. Like, yeah, not at all. A lot of those same notes carry across the sherry, the nuts, the fruit, and I'll say even like the coastal presence is a little bit stronger on the palate. Oh, it definitely is. You, you get that salty note mm. right in the back. And even just letting it finish, like it's just a continuation of that sherry. Like we mentioned in one of our last episodes that we're on a pretty big sherry kick at the moment. So we are enjoying whiskeys that are aged in sherry casks. And this one just ticks all the boxes when you're after a sherried whiskey. Yeah, for me, it definitely does. And what I'm finding as well, like on the finish, incredibly balanced. Because you have the sweetness from the sherry, but then those coastal notes coming in at the back balance it out with some salty notes as well. So a really, really balanced dram for me. Yeah, I would agree. It just, it doesn't leave you with an overwhelming feeling of sweetness or even saltiness for that matter as well. It's just a really good balance. And it's a really good, I guess, uncharacteristic representation of Isla when you think about it, because Normally when you think of an Isla whiskey, you're thinking of one that's going to overpower you mm-hmm. and one that's going to come in and go straight for the senses. Whereas this one is, it's more, I guess, walking along with you and guiding you along. Yeah, it's kind of that easy, relaxing, after dinner kind of dram. Yeah, that's that's probably the right way I'd describe this one. A nice after dinner dram. I could see definitely see myself like after every meal, mm-hmm. just pouring a dram of this and kicking back. Yeah, and I think it's got a really good mouthfeel. It's like borderline an oily coating, but the finish is also a little bit dry, and I think it's attributed to the spices. And again, I, that's just another illustration of the balance in this. Like you're getting like an oily coating in the mouth, but then it balances out with the dry spices. So just works really well, really well. Again, praises for this distillery. Yeah, I definitely, I really like this one here. Yeah, and I think Bunnahabhain, like they've got the 12, they've got the non-age statement, which if you know which one I'm talking about, you know I'm probably not going to be able to pronounce it. <laughs> um, and they all come in at quite a reasonable price point, um, especially reasonable considering the, some of the prices of Isla whiskies. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think if you're looking for something different from Isla, if you're looking for something that isn't typical of that smoke or that peat, then Bunnahabhain 12 right here, it's right up your alley. Yeah, and I think even if you're like super into the peated whiskies and you're like, I don't want to try anything that isn't peated. I also don't think you're going to be disappointed by this one because there is almost like a um, toasted note to it. And I put it to like a toasted grain, um, which is a potential substitute for peat in whiskey. Okay, now we're going to add a teaspoon of water to it. Yeah. Should have mentioned at the top as well. This is natural color and it's the kind of color you are or that we're coming to expect from really well aged whiskies in sherry casks. It's that kind of deep amber. Yeah, I'd say that. And it'd be interesting to see as well how long this was aged in a sherry cask because, I mean, 12 years, maybe I'd expect maybe a closer to that reddish color but we're not seeing too much of that here yeah just having a look on the on the tin it doesn't seem to say like specify how long it was aged in these kind of casks and i mean like if you're familiar with for example glen Allerkey, you know that the 15 is almost solely aged in sherry casks because that thing is such a deep dark bronze I think like the what the water's done to the nose is it's opened it up a little bit more. It's a little bit more fresh, a little bit more airy as opposed to sweetie. So I'm getting more outdoor notes, more yeah seaside notes too. So it is it is lowering kind of the the really sweet and spices of the sherry and bringing out some of those yeah coastal 
fresh notes. Yeah, I'd say definitely. I think I'm even picking up a bit of a seaweed note. Yeah, yeah. Well. But really interesting to see what the water's done here. It's just, um, it's diluted that sweetness and it's just letting you unpack a little more of Isla. Yeah, and for the palate with the water, I think it's done the same. It's it's lowered the oily mouthfeel. It's yeah, lowered the 100%. sweetness. It's kicked up that salty coastal note a little bit more. And I mean, this dram was already accessible and already easy drinking. Yeah. Adding that water has just amplified that even more. This is just incredibly accessible now and incredibly easy to drink. Yeah, and one of the things like we do, we do enjoy how water can change different kind of whiskies. And so what I'd say is it's turned this from probably a predominantly, like if it's leaning a little bit more to the sherry side before the water, it's leaning a little bit more to the coastal island dram after the water. But it's still at that good balance where you're getting a little bit of both. And I mean, overall, I can say I'm enjoying it even with the addition of water because it's, of course, inclined to my palate where it's leaning it more towards the islandy coastal notes, mm. which I really enjoy. So that's great for me. So, but then w- even without the water, I really like sherry. So yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great balanced whiskey for me. Incredibly accessible, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. and very easy to drink. So this for me could definitely be a daily drinker. Yeah, I would agree. I would thoroughly agree. And do you have a dream in words for this one, Brad? Mm, a dream in words for the Bunnerhaven 12. I'd say I've gone, I'm playing, playing hide and seek in a distillery, right? Yep. On Isla, I've gone in, I've jumped in a cask, it's a sherry cask, and unbeknownst to the workers there, they've gone, they've gone to roll the casks and I've just gone out in that cask and I've been rolled and I've been rolled along the coast. <laughs> so I'm still getting those notes. Yep. I'm still smelling that fresh sea air as I'm going through and they finally taken me to the destination they populated, the bam. They're all surprised. What the hell are you doing in there? And that's kind of what this dream has been to me. It's been a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. because I wasn't really sure how I'd feel on a, I guess, an unpeated Isla whiskey. Yeah. And this one's been a surprise for me. I've been surprised at how accessible it was. And I've mentioned that like, what, three, four times now. But it really has surprised me at, that that has been a true characteristic of it. And it's definitely one that I could see as something I could introduce people to single mm-hmm. malt with. At just how easy it is to drink. It's not going to really overpower anyone. And at that 46.3%, was it? Yep. I think that's very deceptive because it doesn't feel like that at all. And even if I add that water, it I wouldn't believe you if you told me this was like at 46.3%. Yeah, that's very true. Now, Dremian words for me, I would put this as, again, that like, after dinner feeling so i've had a dinner maybe it's like we're coming into autumn or in winter and you're eating more of those like baked dinners where you're combining a lot of different spices um different flavors and then you're following it with like a sweet dessert but then like afterwards to relax to to work off the meal you're just going outside for a nice little relaxing stroll you could be on the coast you could be in the country hillsides both of those situations kind of work for this but it's that kind of Nice relaxing stroll after a good meal. Oh, you know, you could be on that stroll with just a f- fruit cake in hand, yeah, right? Basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So, I think just as we finish our drams, go into the segment. We'll be moving on to our segment now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our segment for today, as we mentioned at the very start of the pod, we're going to be talking about a change in the way we purchase and consume whiskey. So, Daniel, what what are we talking about? Well, like, what what does that mean for us anyway? So, I would say, like, starting this podcast as well as doing like the whiskey loot advent calendar has just like broadened the scope to what's available out there in whiskey. And I know we mentioned this in a previous episode where how like if you go into a bottle shop 
to pick a whiskey, even if you're wanting to get in and try it. It can be super overwhelming when you have yeah, 100%. like the sheer amount of options that are there. And I think this can either lead people down to a path of being overwhelmed and ending up not buying anything or playing it safe and just buying the most popular one that looks familiar to you. Like whether it's one you've had before, whether it's one like Johnny Walker or Glenn Fiddick that you see everywhere. Um, so I guess we're just going to be talking about like our changing attitudes and hopefully either exposing different perspectives to listeners or opening up other doors that you can follow us down as we all go on a whiskey journey. Yeah, and I'd say definitely for me anyway, or I wouldn't just say for me, for you as well, that for us the biggest change in our attitude to whiskey has been our willingness to try different expressions. Yep. That, that's really been huge, especially with us sitting down and getting together and starting this podcast. We've just gone on and our main focus has been to really dig deeper mm-hmm. into scotch. And not just scotch, but whiskey in general. Yep. Because I can definitely say, uh, before the podcast, I don't think I would have gone out and actively purchased a bottle of bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I wouldn't have gone and tried to experiment with that. I wouldn't have gone and tried... Buffalo Trace or Elijah Craig or even Long Branch. Like I wouldn't have gone and tried those things out. I would have just stuck to bourbon as one of those things that I'd purchase if I was hosting a party or something so that I could just get people to mix with yeah. a drink, mix with Coke or whatever. So I can definitely say it's really pulled me away from that mentality. Mm-hmm. And another big thing as well, it's I'd say it's definitely moved both of us away as well from what I guess I'd call like our safety scotch. Yeah. Right. So for me before, like if you've been a regular listener to the pod, you know, me and Open 14, we go way back. Right. It's like my best mate. Mm -hmm. So it's really moved me away from that. And one where I'm really going and trying to really experience different scotches that I probably wouldn't go out and try and just be willing to, I guess, deviate from a certain palette or a certain note that I know I enjoy. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I would say that's almost been the same when it comes to peated whiskies. Like, well, my safety scotch would be Lagavulin 16. It's one that I would always like to have on my shelf because it's just a dream I know I'm going to enjoy no matter what. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, I'm never going to get anything unexpected from it. Um, and I think, like, almost like peated whiskies became like a safety net for me as well. Like, I just, it's all I wanted to try. So when I was looking at other whiskeys, I'm like, what else does Isla have to offer? And like, that's a really common hole you can fall into, um, especially if you're into peated whiskeys, because they do offer quite a different range. And I mean, like we've spoken about this, like Lagavulin is really different from Laphroaig, which is really different from Ardbeg, which is really different from Bunnahabhain. So yeah. um, you can get like a lot of variety in that and it can be, really easy to fall down a hole of only buying from distilleries in Isla and then only buying different expressions from them. And I think the biggest change for me with the pod has been branching out to mainland Scotland. Um, and I think I know, like I've already like as much as I love Isla, I've also loved the other islands. So Talisker being the, the dominant other exception to Isla for me, but it's just, yeah, the, the, Peated versions or peated expressions from the mainland distilleries or the different sherried expressions as well as cask strength expressions like the Abuna, which I think we'll get to in a future episode. Um, great sherry bomb, really good cask strength, Speyside whiskey. Same with Mortlach. Like there have just been so many different options out there that we would have put blinders on if we were just focusing on peated whiskies and not allowed ourselves to be exposed to these ones. No, yeah, 100%. And even if I'm looking as well, another, I guess, change in the way that we're consuming whiskey is that we're really moving more and more towards trying to develop a stronger reference and stronger palate. Mm -hmm. So we're really, I guess, going out, we're even going to different bars now and pubs and trying to see what they have on offer. So then that enables us to really broaden what we're trying. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we are purchasing almost every bottle that we review so at the end of the day we can't go out and purchase like 20 bottles in a week right so we have to go to a bar or a pub Mm -hmm. and experience what they've got so we can actually try a lot more 
Yeah, and like even even in the world of whiskey, like even if you've got quite a wide range of different preferences in Scotland, you can still fall into that safety net of only trying scotch and never thinking, as you mentioned earlier, about going out to bourbon or going into Japanese whiskey or as I mentioned at the start of this episode, the Indian whiskeys. Like, and Australia has been the other one that we've been both thoroughly, surprisingly impressed by, um, as well as a little bit proud. It's like, well, this is where we live and we're able to produce quite decent whiskey. So let's get into exploring that a little bit more. So I think that's another thing that has changed in our perception of seeing scotch as kind of the the pinnacle and the standard for whiskey yeah. in the world where what ones we've tried has shown us that other countries are able to do this just as well, sometimes even better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's been like a huge surprise for us as well. Mm. And But it's the surprise that we really enjoyed and one that, like, I'm, like even I mentioned before when I was saying bourbon wasn't something I'd go out and try. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to our episode on bourbon, we were like just blown away with what was being offered to us on mm-hmm. from those different trams and their different uh, notes and the different expressions. It was just something that we weren't expecting at all. Yeah. And even like, as Daniel mentioned earlier, when you're going in to, I guess, your local liquor store or just any liquor store in general, there's that overall feeling of feeling overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and that can really affect the way that you purchase whiskey right because you can spend maybe too much time evaluating your options and you know you might feel a bit of a oh do i should i really spend this on this or should i like should i should i spend more because you have that thing in the back of your mind telling you that more like a higher dollar value means higher quality yeah, and it's it's really tricky, especially if you are wanting to try as many different options as possible. You, like, you've really got to know where to put your money and when to put your money down on something. And it's like, could I buy two cheaper bottles or one higher price bottle expecting a higher quality? And I think it really comes down to, like, you knowing what you like and what you're going to be after. So I think, like, having a wish list is good because then you kind of know which ones are on your list and which ones you have a preference for. And, I mean, like, but at the same time, that can override the fun of it, like, the just enjoyment of being out, of going out there and discovering something new, buying something you that isn't a safety net that you wouldn't have on a list that you wouldn't be expected and finding out you love it. And we've mentioned this, like we would probably recommend if you're unsure about a bottle, go to a bar and try it and see if you actually will like it as opposed to buying a bottle and being disappointed by it. Um, But as for tastings, like you've got places like bars to go and try them. You've got whiskey services like Whiskey Loot with their advent calendar. That was one of the biggest exposures for me in the world of whiskey that showed me that other countries can produce whiskey of a higher caliber than Scotland and ones that I think I would actually probably buy this before I would buy one that I've had on my list before because I've never, but it's one of the ones I never would have thought about beforehand. Um, So it's just, it's just going on the journey and allowing yourself to go on the journey and just having fun discovering and not sticking to a rigid list if you've got like a preference like i can't buy this bottle because the next one on my list is this one yeah yeah and i think even we initially fell down that trap Mm -hmm. where it's okay i've got a list of certain whiskey i want to buy and slowly that want turns into i need to buy that one because i had that on my list for x amount of time so when i go to the store this is the one i need to purchase and then what i found what i found personally is that really gives you tunnel vision. So yeah. when you, as soon as you step through the door, the only thing on your mind is I'm only purchasing this bottle. And then that just really narrows down your options when the world of whiskey is huge. Mm-hmm. There's so much there to offer and you really have to be, but the thing, the thing is you have to be open to that. Yeah. And that's what's been the biggest change for us is just how open we've been to that now. So really now I've found anyway with me personally, when I go to the liquor store, I don't have a list. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what I'm going to purchase. Just whatever stands yeah, out to me. Yeah, just what, what, whatever stands out to me there. Mm-hmm. So I'll 
you know, take my time. I'll maybe 15, 20, even 30 minutes. I'll be in that whiskey section and I'll be looking through, looking at the bottles, you know, picking them up, reading the notes on the back, seeing, okay, is this an expression that I'd be inclined to like or enjoy? Or even am I willing to take a gamble on this one? And that's what I found as well. Like a big change in my attitude and my purchasing habit is that I've been more inclined to take a chance on something. Yeah. And then that comes down to it, your attitude towards it. Like it's really fun to have a list and to see that like anticipation of this is the next one I'm going to buy. I save up, I go and buy it. And you just get a supreme satisfaction of having bought one that you've been planning to buy for so long. Um, And yeah, that's where it comes down to the attitude. Like if you have your mind set on one, but then you decide not to buy it and go for something else, you could end up dissatisfied with that because your, your mind was set on that one. So I think it's okay to fall back on a safety net sometimes as long as if that's where your mind is at and that's what you want to buy. Because you know what? If it happens to be the 14th bottle of Lagavulin and you've bought this year, that's okay if you're really going to enjoy it. It's better than being disappointed by buying another one because you wanted to explore it if you're really after that satisfaction of having a Lagavulin. Yeah, exactly. And even when you go to the store, even for us now, I think a big change for us as well has been how more how willing we are to even try local whiskey. Yep. Yeah. And that was something I guess we'd never really considered prior to the pod. And what really helped change that is like a, a subscription service, like Daniel mm-hmm. mentioned, right? So we were both members of the whiskey club, and they every now and again they really push Australian distilleries, mm-hmm. and that has really I guess opened our eyes to that. And those subscription services they can really open the door for you mm-hmm. to. Yeah not only some very rare and exclusive bottlings, which that's great. That's a huge plus and bonus. And I can definitely say that we've really experienced some bottles that we wouldn't find in the shops at yeah. all. But I guess the other positive is you're going to experience whiskeys that you'd never have considered yourself. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's just the thing. It's the sheer novelty of it. You're like, what is coming out this month? how much am I going to enjoy this? Am I going to enjoy it enough to buy another bottle or to explore this distillery or to explore this country? And yeah, at the end of the day, that's just all it is. It's just you finding a way to enjoy the whiskey journey. Yeah, 100%. And really, that's really what sums this whole thing up is that you have to think really, you have to be willing to enjoy the journey and the whole process of it. Yep as opposed to being stuck in a rigid mentality. Well, that's what we found anyway for us when it comes to our changing attitudes and habits to purchasing whiskey is that we've just become more open mm. and that's through different subscription services. And that's just through the biggest thing like Daniel mentioned is that change in mindset. Yeah. And speaking of changes and speaking of like a rigid structure, let's go back to Isla. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to Isla. <laughs> it's time to get back to some whiskey. Yeah. Alrighty, so the next dram up today, it's a real treat. We've had a we had a dram of this before, and it's the winner of the Whiskey Exchanges Whiskey of the Year for 2021. It's the Port Charlotte 10 Heavily Peated. And boy, is it a treat. Um quick anecdote when it comes to this. Um, it was a dram I got at the Scotch Whiskey Experience in Edinburgh when I was traveling to Scotland. And it was essentially what reinvigorated my love or like reaffirmed my love of Isla and the fact that peated whiskies, it's it's where my heart like ultimately lies as much as I do enjoy other trying other things. Peated whiskies are just, they're so great. But yeah, so I think this rightfully is a rightful winner of that award. Um, but yeah, do you want to? Yeah, I'll get into it. So really... Uh, the, it's from the Brooklady Distillery and it's one of their three bottlings. So their namesake dram is not smoky at all. It's unpeated. That's the Brooklady 10. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Port Charlotte here, which is peated. Then there's the big boy, the Octomore, which is almost just pure peat and it's probably the smokiest whiskey out there and we can speak from experience with that one. Yeah, it's like they just crammed the bottle full of peat. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that that is a treat. That, right. that one is that one's something else. Like if if you 
see their classic laddie and you think, oh, why aren't they doing a peated whiskey? Can they not do peated whiskeys? The Port Charlotte and the Octomore are just like a, like it's them showing like, don't think we can't do peated whiskey. We yeah. can do peated. You want to see peated whiskey? Here's Pete. <laughs> yeah. So like, like Daniel said, Port Charlotte 10's like, okay, you're asking if we can do Pete. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And then, then they're thinking, oh, you're still questioning whether we can do Pete. Here's the Octomore. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just cram you full of Pete. And then can you say anything now? No, you can't. It's enough out of you. <laughs> so Port Charlotte 10 heavily peated. It's an Isla single malt. And age 10 years, obviously, in oak casks though. Uh, at bottled at 50%. And, oh man, as Daniel mentioned, like this being a dram that really reaffirmed his love for Pete. And that's the same for me. I, Pete is my safety net. Yep. And it's one that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. And it's, I can just tell it's something I truly enjoy mm-hmm. just by the fact that I'll have a dram of something unpeated or, you know, a mainland scotch. And then I crack, crack open a bottle of peated whiskey and then you can just tell from the smile on my face that. Yep. And then the feeling like, oh, smelling the peat. You're just yeah. like, that, that feeling you get. You're it is like, such an emotive response when yep. you get a whiff of like a really good peated whiskey that is just incomparable to anything else that I've experienced in whiskey. Yeah. And Daniel, going back to this winning the whiskey exchanges, whiskey of the year for 2021. Are we surprised a peated whiskey one? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. And I mean, for us though, we love peated whiskey. So that answer probably wouldn't come as a surprise. But we've mentioned before, though, I mean, countless times that a peated whiskey can be a mixed bag and it's one that maybe you want to lead up to or, or you know, just go big. Just pour a dram of the Port Charlotte in here. You're not going to be disappointed, eh? Mm, absolutely not. And, I mean, if it's your first peated whiskey, that is, it, it is going to be a blast to the senses. But for us, anyway, that's what whiskey and scotch is all about, you know, trying and experiencing new things. And the real beauty with peated whiskey that we found anyway, is that the more you come back to them, you'll just keep unpacking and finding new things to discover in the glass. And the more you get familiar with peat, it slowly turns into another flavor or accent you'll find in a dram. As opposed to the overwhelming, this is all there is in this one. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to just be the thing that defines what's in your glass. It's just going to be another note that you pick up. Yeah. And on that, like picking this up, like on the nose, this was immediately almost reminiscent of an Ardbeg because I was getting the smoke as well as like almost like a meaty undertone, like a honey glazed ham or hickory ham. Um, but then like the further you get into it, the more its coastal nature starts to come out. So you're getting like a salty brininess as well. And as well as the peat, like the peat is just ever present. Yeah. And I think the difference with the way that this is and the way it drew that association to Ardbeg is that the smoky nature of this and the peaty nature of this is that it's a very dry, smoky um, yeah. feel. Whereas, I guess, when you're thinking of Lagavulin, which is like campfire smoke, and then when you're thinking of Laphroaig, which is medicinal. Yeah, really earthy tones. I think what's really really great with this one as well, like just on the nose, the the oaky characteristic is just bringing out some really nice, I guess some sweet notes that I'm picking up as well as some great spices. I'm getting a bit of ginger as well, a bit of nutmeg. Mm-hmm. And I'm even finding there's a bit of like orange peel. Yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, it's still, it's still dominantly peated, dominantly coastal. Yeah, and that's sweetness. It's very um, caramel-esque. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. And just when it marries with that coastal feel, you could almost say, for like a salted caramel, right? Yeah. Just when, yeah. It, while it, when it marries with the coastal nature of this dram. It's such a great dram on the nose, especially if you enjoy peated whiskey. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. And now onto the palate. So this might be different for people if this is their first experience with it. But what I found is the peat didn't start immediately. 
as I tasted it, it came up from the back and then filled the mouth. Yeah, I think what I'm finding as well, like as you mentioned, like the speed, the peaty nature of this comes from the back. It's more that it comes and it really envelops the other flavors that yep. are in the dram so that it really accompanies them really well. So what I think what I've found today is the two drams we've had very, very well balanced in yeah. two very different ways. Whereas yeah. the Bunnahabhan was well balanced in its sweet and its salty presence. This is incredibly well balanced in its sweet and peaty nature. Yeah, like straight up, like just another sip to really, I guess, like nail down what the other flavors were before the peat came in and just like dominated. Getting like a creamy, almost custardy sweetness as well. Yep. yep. Um, and there was very, um, yes, salty seaweed notes too. Yeah, and I think what I'm finding as well is that like every sip, you're just finding the layers just, I guess, play with each other. The, the mm. smoke comes and it goes and it comes and it goes almost like a wave, just like going back and forth across the coast, right? Yeah, yeah. It's washing in up the shore. Yeah, and even I'm getting like, and what I love about this smoke, is such a dry smoke. Yeah. And that saltiness and seaweed note, it also is almost like comparably, like it's very savory, um, very like umami-esque <laughs> as well. But then that smoke is just ever present. Like speaking after you've taken a dram of it, it just feels like you're breathing out smoke. Yeah. And just from this dram, I can tell you know, this was a rightful winner of that whiskey oh. exchange whiskey of the year for 2021. Yeah, there, there is no doubt it's a quality peated whiskey. All right, I'm going to add some water to my one because I'm getting very low on it. I've been a little bit too eager with this one. I think what I'm finding with the addition of water. It's a really strong lemon note. Mm, yeah. And it's one of the things, like, it's hard to say whether it's just our acclimation to peat. But on the nose, like, the peat is definitely there, no doubt. But the other flavors are still really present. Like, they're still really obvious. So that peat, that um, lemon note's coming across really strong. Still the savory meats. Um, I'm getting more of, like, a dried smoked meat now. I think what I'm getting as well is almost like a, like a herby note. Yep. Maybe like along the Like lines. rosemary. Yeah, like a rosemary or a thyme. Rosemary, lamb, yeah, thyme, yeah. And I'm also getting like pretzel. Like I might be weird mm. to say, but yeah, it's definitely pretzel. It's like that kind of salty as well as a biscuity crunch. And even like as it did in the Bunahab and the water has really kicked up the coastal notes as well. Yep. Yeah, we found that and we mentioned that in... Um, our episode when we talked about Talisker and we like looked at the cask strength Talisker, adding water to that, like to the coastal drams really just elevates it. It shows how much water in the sea influences these drams. And I think the addition of water to them really brings that out. I want to say the smoke is even a little bit subdued after adding the water. Yeah, The peat has a bigger kick. Yeah, it definitely does. I'm even getting like a bit more... Fruity notes present as well. Mm. I'm finding maybe like a really ripe apple. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like the white fleshed fruits. So like, yeah, crisp apple, mm. pear, nectarine even. Yeah, it's oh, really pleasant. And as we mentioned before, when we said the more you become acclimatized to peated whiskey, the more you can unpack. And mm. that's what's really happened to us as well yeah. on our journey that, that it did help that peated whiskey was our safety net. Mm -hmm. So it was something that we were always unpacking and always going to. So it really, I guess, sped up the time you'd take to acclimatize to it yeah. because it was all we were drinking for a certain period of time. Basically. <laughs> but that's what I find is so great about peated whiskey is that for us now, the peat is just a note that accompanies the whiskey. It's not its defining characteristic, mm -hmm. right? So we can acknowledge the peat and say, okay, that's part of the dram, but what else is there? Yeah. I mean, like, the adverse side to that is it means when we approach other whiskeys, it feels like it's missing an element because we're not getting the additional kick and influence that Pete has. Um, that's not to say that other whiskeys aren't good in their own merits. It's just that 
when you become so acclimatized to peated whiskies that you are able to detect that element in addition to all the other flavors. It is such a strong, defining, and influential characteristic that it can feel like other whiskies that don't have it are missing it. Um, but that again, that comes down to different preference and experience. Like if you're not into peat, you're not going to find that. But if you are, then that's probably why some people get so ingrained in Isla. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate there. And even just like as we're uh, as I'm finishing it, I would say like, despite the additional fruitiness on the palate, the finish still becomes very spiced and very dry. So that ginger that you mentioned at the top, that's coming across on the finish. So is the really like toasted grains, toasted cereals that I think was coming across as like a pretzely note to me. Um, and then like the smoke. So I, I mentioned like after the water, the smoke on the palate was not as present, but the peat was, but like the smoke seems to be coming up and drifting out on the finish. Yeah. Such a, such a pleasant dram here. So Daniel dram in words, what do you got? I think what ultimately summed this up for me was that idea of the peat washing in and out as like the lapping of waves. So I'm in like a fishing village. I'm standing on the shore and let's say there was a, a fire on a fishing boat. And so you're standing on the shore and what you're getting washing up is like burnt and charred nets, like, or rope that has been like, you know, they get like covered in like the algae and the sea brine. Um, but it's also been burnt, so it's releasing a lot of aromas. Um, so the nets are getting washed up, bits of driftwood are coming in, some seaweed, um, and I'm just standing with my feet on the shore, just enveloped in all of these senses, both visual, taste, and smell. Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> good. So I've got to try and match that. I've got to try and best <laughs> that. All right, so for my dreaming words, I'd say this is, for me, almost akin to a cloudy day or a smoky day mm-hmm. and you're kind of just there on the shore, incredibly cloudy, incredibly smoky and you'll see just a ray of sunlight coming through the clouds. Yep, yep. And that ray of sunlight is almost a sweetness that's present in this dram as well. Mm. So as well as the smoky, like the smoky notes you're getting from like a smoky, like a cloud or just a fire in the distance, you're getting like the sweetness and the warmth from the sunshine as well. Yep. That's, that's pretty apt. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what this dram is to me. It's almost just standing on a shore with a really intense fire burning in the distance, almost maybe like a, like an actual fire ravaging a seaside town mm-hmm. or something and the smoke's coming through. So you're still getting those characteristics, but at the same time, the warmth from the sun that's peering through the clouds still hitting you and you're getting that as well from this dram. It's such a great dram for me, I'd definitely say. Very good. <laughs> oh, I tried the best year. I don't know if I did, but <laughs> I had to give it a go. Let listeners decide that. <laughs> Who had the better dram in words? I don't think we'll turn this into a competition. <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we've finished our drams of the Port Charlotte 10 Heavily Peated. And now just to round things out, you know, with it being 2021 and all, let's pour of the pour a dram of the Royal Salute 21. So this one from Shivers Regal. So it is a blend, but you know, it's a 21. And and we've just entered 21, so special occasion. Let's let's kick it off with a special dram. Yeah, now so this bottle, it's a special release of the uh Shivers Regal Royal Salute. It comes in a porcelain flagon. So great thumbs up look wise. I don't have any bottle like this. Yeah. And the Royal Salute was created in 1953 to celebrate the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. So, you know, it states that it's a powerful, sophisticated and opulent blend aged for a minimum of 21 years. This Scotch whiskey is named for the tradition of the 21-gun salute that is fired at the Tower of London for royal celebrations. So... That's how they describe their whiskey. Let's see if it really... <laughs> let's see if it matches up. Yeah, let's see if it matches up. And it is bottled at 40%. Okay? So okay. a lot less than what we're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's just see how it holds up. So on the nose, what are you getting? 
I mean, like, it's interesting and complex on the nose. I think there's a lot going on. Getting a lot of, I, I don't I call them, um, I guess, like your stock standard Speyside notes. So there's yeah. a little bit of fruitiness, a little bit of sweetness. There's a little bit of spice too. Uh, spice that I'd attribute to, like, ginger as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was definitely going to say when I smelt this, I was almost just like someone just shoved every single note you'd find in Speyside into yep. a glass. And that's what I was getting on the nose. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely like, I, I would call the sweetness a honey sweetness. There's also some like fresh, open, grassy notes too. Yeah, and what I'm finding as well, there's some like real, like a deep, fruity flavor. Mm. Like almost like a, I'm getting like a bit of a pear as well. Okay, yeah. I'm getting a, um, a citrusy fruit as well. Um, in addition to like, I guess, yeah, you categorize the pear in like those orchard fruit groups. So yeah, getting the orchard fruits, but then getting like a, I'd call it an orange sweetness, um, orange citrus. Like, I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's just because we've had a pita whiskey just before. I'm getting yep. maybe like a really, really soft, smoky undertone. I don't know. Yeah, I think I've experienced that before. And I don't know if this is a testament to my bad memory or the amount of drams we've had, but there was a similar note that I was picking up that I think I attributed to like gingerbread. So it's something that has been cooked. Um, So you're getting, I say I wouldn't, I wasn't getting smoke, but I'm getting more like the baked cooked scent. That's probably what it is. All right, let's just get on to the palate. Like coming off the nose, the palate isn't unexpected. It's no. it's very similar to what I was getting on the nose. And I think what I'm finding is that ginger note is really dominant here. That's that's like the overwhelm not overwhelming, but that's like the really dominant note that I'm picking up. I found the arrival was like there's a lot there's a lot going on in the flavor, but it has uh, it, it, some people may like it, some people may not, but like the mouthfeel wasn't oily. It was very no. smooth, very silky. Very light. Yeah. What I'm finding is what I'm finding interesting with this is that it is incredibly light, but yet it still packs a lot of flavor. Yeah. But the issue that I'm finding is that due to its lightness and how quickly it leaves the palate, the fact that there's so many different flavors doesn't really matter at all because it escapes your palate really fast. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just almost like at the snap of a finger. So you almost you get like the sensation across your palate that's, oh my god, there's so much going on, and then it's gone. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I, like, it's hard to say whether that's attributed to the fact that it's a blend, to its ABV. Could be a lot going on there with what's influencing the mouthfeel and the experience of how long it lasts and the shortness of the finish. But it's it's undoubtedly a pleasant ram, though. Yeah, incredibly pleasant and. And if, and again, going back to what Daniel said, I don't know if the pleasant, I guess the pleasantness of this mm. comes from the fact that it's at 40% and we are so, like, we're just so accustomed to drinking everything below, uh, above 46%, yep. I should say. Yeah, and if I was to say there was, if anything was dominating the palate and the flavour, um Get like you're just getting the same the same things that we were talking about on the nose, like those typical space side notes. So there's a little bit of fruit, there's a little bit of um, sweetness. Again, calling that a honey, um, and then I'm getting spices, and I'm getting spices in the form of ginger. Like that's just still the thing that sits with that stays with me from this dram because um, it's a little bit bitey, but it's flavored. Pretty interesting. So upon, I guess, second tasting, for me, I'm definitely getting a stronger sense of those spices, but I'm also finding as well, I'm getting it like a nuttiness, almost like a hazelnut. Mm-hmm. But then even at the end, I'm actually getting a little hint of a smokiness. Okay. Yeah, at the end, yeah. It's interesting. Like I don't know, it's like, as I'm breathing out, it's like a little hint of like a smokiness that's probably there. I'm not sure if it is or not. <laughs> but really interesting. 
I guess a lot more pleasant for me on the second second go around as mm. I was on the first. On the first, it was almost like, bam, here are all these flavors on your palate, and then they're gone. Yeah, the second, they needed a drive by. <laughs> yeah, you literally, yeah, a drive by, a drive by of flavors, and then upon second, second going, it was a little more refined, a little more, I guess, concentrated into a certain, I guess, into a certain niche, which was like a nuttiness and a spice. Yeah, and it's one that on my third tasting of it, like just let it remain in the mouth a little bit longer to allow those flavors, I guess, to seep into your tongue, if that's how the science of this works. Um, But a lot more complexity comes out if you give it time. And I think you're right, like that nuttiness coming across really strong. There's there's still that toasted note um, and it's not just gingerbread. It's, I don't know, like biscuits, um, toast, but there's, yeah, there's a, there's a fruity sweetness too. And again, I'm getting a combination of orchard fruits as well as citrus. Yeah, definitely. Um, with this one, no mistaking that this is a Speyside dram. Yeah. And as Daniel mentioned, I think maybe even with just anything at 40% for us anyway, it might just be that we really need to let it sit on the palate mm-hmm. a lot longer than we do for anything else. So you really got to like, I guess, swish this one around in the mouth for a while for all the flavors to actually give a real concentrated characteristic. Because if you kind of briefly let it sit on the palate, then as Daniel said before, it's literally a drive-by of flavors. You're, yeah. you, you're just overwhelmed and it passes so quickly that you're not going to really be able to pinpoint a real characteristic of the dram. Yeah, and I'm like, if you're a fan of blended whiskeys, which, you know, a lot of people diss on them, they do have their merits in some areas. Um, and as as a lot of people know, the whiskey industry essentially owes its survival to blended whiskeys. Like, this is undoubtedly a really good blended whiskey. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot of complexity. There's a lot going on. When you give it the time, it shows you that. Um, and I think even if you're not into blended whiskeys, like aside from, as we've constantly mentioned, um, it's smooth arrival and really quick finish. Aside from that, it's, it's a quality dram. So yeah, with this one, I know it was, I think it was a bit pricey with that one. So I, I got this one off my parents because okay. my dad got it as a present and he just doesn't drink whiskey. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I'm not really going to, do anything with this so he's like you can take it so i was like free whiskey yeah i don't want to take it i'm not gonna say no no complaints there yeah so as daniel said i think it's a really good blend it's not it's not disappointing that's what i can i can at least say that it's not a disappointing dram i've i've seen some very mixed feelings on this one where people Mm. have said there's been a disappointment there i guess it depends how much you've dropped on the bottle yeah exactly yeah so for me, I guess my feelings are coming from someone that hasn't spent any money on this yep. model, right? So, and I know that when this was released, it was like, I think a pretty pricey dram around like 180, 190. Uh, okay. Now, I don't know if that's due to the special bottling of it being in a porcelain bottle mm. and the bo- the box that comes in, it looks really premium. It's, it's a statement bottle. If you're going in with that expectation that this is a premium dram, you, I can understand yeah. the mixed feelings you'd have on that because you can get almost objectively better quality whiskey at less money. Yeah, definitely. And the two other whiskeys that we looked at today, a lot cheaper yeah. than the Royal Salute 21. And I guess a bit of a spoiler to our ratings, <laughs> much higher quality. Yeah. I'd find anyway. But if you're looking for a really surprisingly easy drinking dram, you know, at 21 years of age, mm. that is almost too quintessential of Speyside. Yeah. Like, it's almost like it's just too much Speyside in the glass. It's trying too hard to be Speyside. Yeah. They, it's like the tourists that go to the place and they just put on, like, all the memorabilia. Like, you go to New York, you wear the, the Statue of Liberty head thing, yeah. you wear the I Love New York shirt, you're like, we get it, you're in New York. Yeah, and... This dream is almost like that. It's just almost, I get it. You're a space side dream. You don't need to keep reminding me that you're from space side. Yeah. I get it. 
And if anything, I think that's my dream in words. It is that tourist that goes to the place and just dresses up in all of the souvenirs that you find in there. Yeah. So that probably leaves me with my dream in words for this one. Yep. <laughs> I'd say this is almost like... For me, my dream in words for this would just have to be that I've gone and taken a bit of every distillery in Speyside, put it in a glass... And that's probably what I've got with this one because it's almost just like every characteristic you would find in Speyside is just yeah. present in this. And it's the issue is that all those characteristics there, it's just so minute mm. that I can't just look at it and say, okay, this has this, this, and this from Speyside. The issue with this one is that it has too much of Speyside in the glass. Yeah. So it's almost just like overwhelming, but in a bad way. But, and not really overwhelming, I guess, you know, I guess, I don't know if overwhelming might be the right word, mm. but it's almost just too brief. That's probably what I, what I yep. wanted to say. It's almost too brief on the palette for what it's trying to do. Yeah, that's fair. And I think now we go into the ratings. All right. So Daniel, we'll start with the Bunahaban 12. What do you got? All right. I'm going to put the Bunahaban 12 at, I'm just, I'm just comparing that. I'm going to mm-hmm. put it at, let me just see what else I've. What else I've rated things? You know, I think it's fair to put it at 7.8. I think it's on par with Tobermory 12 as well as Talisker Storm. Um, and without going over the praise I'd already given it when we tried it, good sherry kick, quality whiskey, great mouthfeel and experience. It just sits in a well above average dram. Yeah, I'm almost going to say for me, I was almost going to give it a 7.8. I'm going to give it a 7.8. Six. Okay, yep. Three. Because just thinking back, I can just think back to, I guess, my Mortlack rating as well and my Storm rating. This is almost, for me, as easy to drink as both of those, but mm-hmm. just that little bit more, you know? I, like that one, I can just see Bunahaban 12 could be something that's a staple for me to keep in rotation. Yeah. And one that I could just come back to constantly and not be disappointed at all. So the Port Charlotte 10 heavily peated. I'll start with this one. Yeah. All right. So for me, Port Charlotte 10 is going to be a eight. Yep. That's fair. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm going to give it an 8.2. No, I'm going to have to change that. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm looking over our ratings as we've done that. And I've given Lechegg 10 an 8.2 as well. And I think just because I loved how well peated it was. Um, I think Port Charlotte's better than Lechegg 10. So I'm probably going to have to bump that up to an 8.4. All right, good, good. So just, just a little sneak peek. Looks like my ratings might just be that much better because, you know, I did rate Lechegg 7.9 <laughs> and then I've given <laughs> the Port Charlotte 10 an 8. So I'm just accurate, guys. <laughs> now the Royal Salute 21. Do you want to start with that or do you want me to go first? It's your whiskey, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to give this one a... Like, I'm almost teetering to a 4.9. Oh, or, okay. or even like a 5. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to settle on a five. That's fair. Um, is that fair? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you got with this one? It's, it's a tough one. Like I almost want to give it. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me think. I'm like, where would I place that? Because, like, I simultaneously think it is, like, it's just fine. Like, I could drink it. It's just good. So that puts it in the five ratings. But at the same time, there are other dreams I'd rather have. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, where does that then fit when it, like, comes to multiple categories? And I think, like, for what it offers over other blended whiskeys, I maybe have to keep it in that five. So I'm going to give it a 5.4. Interesting. I thought you'd 
teeter to where I was going with the five because I was just on that edge. I was on that 4.9 to five. Like I was just, oh, you just scraped a five for me. Yeah, like I, I'm off keeping it in this category because I think there are other blended whiskies that could merit a five that don't offer what this one offers in yeah. terms of complexity. So I'm just keeping a little bit of room in that five to this rating so I can fit in some other blends when we get around to them. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> that is fair. And I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So as always, um, you can contact us at Ideas you want to pass on to us at the pod. Um, you can also reach out to our um, Instagram or you can um, go to our link tree for our other socials. So, as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Pour another dram! <laughs> <laughs>